Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Luke chapter 6, we find Jesus correcting the misguided, hard-hearted religious leaders of his day. Do you have a soft and loving heart for Jesus, and do you love others with the heart of Jesus Christ? Or are you more like the hard-hearted religious leaders? Jesus Christ is the Lord of every aspect of our life and of every day of our life. Let's open our Bible now to Luke chapter 6 and look at the incredible power and authority of Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It is a Sunday afternoon here in Texas. And hopefully y'all just loving on Jesus, Dustin, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love him, and above all, growing to obey him. And, uh, you know, we need to grow to repent when we, when we fall short. What does that mean, grow to repent? Meaning we ought to be consistently examining ourselves, right? Not, not, for the, not so we could look down on ourselves, not so we could feel bad about ourselves, but the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit convicts us, right, when we're, when we're out of line, meaning when we're not living our lives in obedience to the Word of God in any way, in our actions, in our words, and in our thoughts, right? And when we, you know, <clears throat> when we examine ourselves and we see what's out of place, in a, in a joyful way, we simply repent. We go before the Lord and, and we ask for forgiveness and we ask Him to help us to live a, a Christ-centered life. And, uh, and I've said this before, repentance is one of the greatest tools in our toolbox. Again, not because we have to, but because we get to. Um, so thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Well, we, uh, we did the book of John. That was, I guess, 91 teachings, Dustin and Stephen said. And then, uh, <clears throat> and so still looking for which way to go. So we we taught through Luke chapter 8, right, Alicia? And then we, uh, we taught through chapter 7. And seeing as I still don't have a, a direction, so to speak, we're going to now go to Luke chapter 6. And so we're, uh, we'll at least finish this chapter. And then um, when the guys arrange the teachings, they're able to do it in a way where we'll be able to have these, you know, these teachings in order. So thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, Luke 6. Verses 1 through 11, just uh, just incredible scriptures as they all are. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for our Bible. We thank you that we have the Holy Scriptures, Father, to feed us spiritually and to feed our soul. Father, we thank you for your word. But above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect, righteous life for us. And we thank you for, for dying a, a torturous death for us, Lord. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today, Lord Jesus, and we worship you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now. Open our minds to the word of God. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Okay, Luke 6, verses 1 through 11. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, 
and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his command and have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. And we're told in the other gospel that they discussed how they might kill him. Look at verse 11. But they were furious. Try, try to understand this. They were furious because Jesus had healed a man with an unusable shriveled up hand on the Sabbath or on a Saturday, right? And out of their rage, right, because they had all of these man-made rules, right, over 600 rules that they added to what the Bible said, right? Um, and because they, they, they might have even invited this man, right? And it says clearly they were, you know, they were looking to see, right? It says in verse 7, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath, so understand this now, right, Alicia? They, they apparently, these religious leaders apparently knew and believed that Jesus had the power to heal. But instead of that opening their minds, instead of that opening their hearts, they knew he had the power to do the miraculous. But instead of that, instead of them reasonably humbling themselves before him, as we all need to do, they, they actually look to see if he'll do a miracle on the Sabbath because then they would have a reason to accuse him. Now, this obviously this thinking is, is ludicrous beyond belief, right? It's an utter absurdity. They were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely. We got to watch real close right now because... We got to make sure he doesn't heal nobody today. Now, Jesus clearly doesn't care at all what they think. He rebukes them, right? 
He challenges them and tells them that, you know, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? They obviously don't say anything. He has the man stand up in front of everyone, right? Just to make this point clear. And with, you know, he commands the man to stretch out his hand. Now, before Jesus told the man, stretch out your hand, the man would have had no power to do this whatsoever. Jesus here, obviously, and we're going to talk about this, not only heals the man's hand, but he empowers him to, to stretch it out. And all the man has to do, Dustin, is just cooperate with Jesus. And what you'll see is Jesus not only is going to heal the shriveled hand, but he's going to empower the man to stretch it out. But the man does have to cooperate and do as Jesus told him to do if he wants the blessing. And we're going to get into that. Bam. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But it says in verse 11, but they were furious, Corinne. They were so mad, furious, and they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. They began to discuss how they, they might kill him, right? So, so try to understand this. They have no compassion on the man with the shriveled hand, okay? They don't care about him at all, okay? And they're so off-put with Jesus because Jesus had mercy on this man. Jesus showed incredible love to this man, but they're so caught up in their religion, right? That, that they go out and they're going to plot something infinitely worse, right? Jesus didn't even do anything wrong, but somehow in their minds, they got it so twisted, right? That, you know what? Do you see what he did right there? Did you see that he just he just healed that man's hand on the Sabbath? Yes, that is what he did. It's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And, and, and again, this, this type of spirit, this type of attitude is alive and well in the church today. Okay, People can be out serving the kingdom of God. They can be teaching the word of God and they can be doing whatever. Let's just say 95% of the things well. But religion will have us looking at the, the 3%, the 5%, the Stephen percent that, that's just wrong and have to find something wrong in it, right? My man Stephen is uh, one of the leaders in our ministry, and he, that man got an eye for detail, I'm telling you. We could have 499 pieces of the puzzle together, and Stephen will say, you know, we are missing a piece. Thank you, Steve. So, uh, it, it, amazingly, we can get... We can get so backward in our thinking that these religious leaders, okay, um, uh, these are Pharisees. These are people who knew the word of God that somehow they're going to be so angry with Jesus, they're going to plot to take his life, when, which is something obviously so horrible, so evil, so categorically against the will of God. And for, for him doing something that's incredibly loving. I mean, they're going to return the most evil thing possible. They're going to try to have him killed in exchange for him showing tremendous mercy and tremendous love. And that's what envy and jealousy and pride can do to us. Right, Lauren? Um, I mean, we all need to look into our lives and just look at the different aspects of just pride and envy and jealousy. And nowhere 
is this uh, is this this more relevant? More nowhere do we have more application than than in uh, than in the church today, right? We have like what is it a, near eleven hundred denominations in Christianity. The church is so fractured in so many ways, and as I've said, we just uh, it just seems impossible for us to get along. Generally, churches are extremely territorial and ministries, right? And, and our job is to care about the Son of God, the Word of God, and the Kingdom of God, man. And that's what we're here to advance, right? But for the most part, we're off doing our own thing. We're doing church, and we're concerned about building our church and our ministry. And Lord, I do ask you to forgive us and to cleanse us of this unrighteousness, Lord. I ask you to forgive us, Lord. I repent Lord, and I ask you to help us, Lord, just to, uh, Holy Spirit, I ask you to take the blinders off our eyes in the name of Jesus. All right, verse one. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Verse two, some of the Pharisees, there they are again, the religious walk dogs, the religious watchdogs. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath, okay? As I said again, they made up over 600 rules, right, Donnie? Um, and they added them to the Word of God, but they expected them to be obeyed like the Word of God. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's like Deuteronomy 23. It might be verse 25, um, or it might be verse 5. Let me look. Deuteronomy 23... Verse um, 25, okay, Deuteronomy 23, 25, this is in the law. If you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to his standing grain. Okay, so here it is. It was in the Bible, okay? It was in Deuteronomy. They all had it. But the Pharisees were saying, you're not supposed to do that on a Saturday, on a Sabbath, didn't say that in the word of God, okay? They added it to the word of God because they said that was some kind of work and you weren't supposed to be doing work on the Sabbath. Let me read it again. So they knew this scripture. They knew it was in here, but they added to the word of God. And again, that's something we all have to watch out for as Christians and especially as preachers and teachers, okay? We do not add to the word of God, nor do we take from it, okay? Our job is to teach and preach the word of God and get out of its way, okay? The spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, Kristen, comes alongside the word of God, not my words, okay? The spirit of God comes alongside the word of God, and it's the word of God and the spirit of God that does the work. So they knew that it, excuse me, they knew that it said, if you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands but you must not put a sickle to his standing grain. Meaning, again, if you're hungry and you went into a field that didn't belong to you, you're not stealing if you just take some grain and rub it in your hands and then, you know, then the, the shuck comes off or, you know, uh, whatever the outer covering is, right? I'm not a farmer. Um, and it says you were allowed to do that. But now don't just get some tools and start stealing grain that's not yours, but you were allowed to do it. So they weren't doing anything wrong, Okay. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Okay. 
They were hungry, right? They knew that the Bible said this was okay. They weren't stealing, okay? Um, they weren't harvesting it. They were allowed to do that with their hands, and that's just the Lord made it clear. Um, but since it was a Saturday, verse 2, some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So again, just we, we, we clearly want to clean up error, okay? But we ought not have an entire ministry that does nothing but clean up error, okay? Um, or speak about what everyone else is doing wrong. Now, now again, so I want to be clear. Of course, it's our job if someone is not preaching a pro proper gospel, if someone is misrepresenting Christ, then yes, okay? It, it, it is our job to say, you know what? That's not true, and that's not right. But at the same time, that ought not be the whole focus of our life and saying what's wrong with everything, okay? So when we go out of our way to find something wrong with a Christian or a brother and sister in Christ or, a, you know, or, or some particular minister somewhere, we ought to go out of our way to find some things that they're doing well as well. Um, and so, again, we ought not always be nitpicking at things that we can agree to disagree on. We have to agree on the essentials of the word of God. On the non-essentials, we can agree to disagree, right? We get all caught up. There's a reason we have 1,100 denominations in Jesus Christ. What can you name? About seven or eight, right? Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, um, Pentecostal. See, I'm already running out of them, right? There's 1,100 of them. Leah, right? Um, and so we're all just, you know, so divided. You got Mormons, you got Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, you, everyone's just doing their own thing. Our job is to conform our lives to the word of God, okay? We need to make our life fit the Bible. The reason we have so many different denominations is we are all trying to make the Bible fit our lives. We want to make the Bible fit what we want to believe and how we want to live, and it's sin, it's wrong, and I ask you to forgive us, Lord Jesus. Look what Jesus tells them, Scott. Verse 3. Jesus answered them, and he answers them by quoting to them the word of God. And he's challenging them here, okay? So they're saying that, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, I just read to you that it wasn't unlawful to do this. They had made it up. But Jesus challenges them with something that is in the scriptures. Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he, is, when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Verse 5, then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And we're going to get into that. That's a statement right there. I think it's uh I think it's first Samuel is it is it fifteen? Um I'm I'm looking for where Jesus says when David is. I believe it's first Samuel fifteen. I have you know, I can look it up. But where David went with his companions, entered the house of God, and he and he ate this consecrated bread. So what is Jesus telling them? Jesus is using David as an example, okay? Now, this does say, in, in David's time, it says he entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, 
and he gave some to his companions, and his companions ate it. Okay. Now this was, you know, this did break the law, the letter of the law in the Old Testament. But David understood there's the spirit of the law, there's the heart of the law, and then there's the letter of the law. Now hear me. This is no excuse for us to go out, Stephen, and start, you know, going 50 miles an hour on a 30 mile an hour zone and just say, well, it's the, you know, it's the spirit of the law, right? <laughs> Stephen and I were driving there. To get my boy Dustin, and I wanted to know why he was going so slow. And, uh, you know, he said the speed limit is 30. And, uh, and so we were talking about that. But what, uh, you know, so, so King David, okay, he's hungry. They're starving. They need some food. There's bread there. Okay, I understand what it says, but there's no other food around. Now, listen, if there was plenty of food everywhere else, then David certainly would not have done this, okay? But David understood, again, the, the heart of God the Father, okay? Biblical Christianity is about a growing relationship with your heavenly Father, a growing relationship with Jesus Christ your Lord, and a growing relationship with the Holy Spirit, okay? That's, that's, that's the purpose of our salvation, now, the, ne the necessity of our salvation is that every human being is sinful. We all have a sin debt to God. And every human being in the world, all 8 billion people in the world need Jesus Christ. And without Jesus, only eternal hell awaits. We need Jesus to save us from our sin and in the end, an eternity separated from the triune God in hell. Okay? Um, and so, you know, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Now, again, when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you come into relationship with the triune God. God the Father becomes your heavenly Father. Jesus Christ becomes your Lord and Savior and Master and King. And the Holy Spirit becomes your guide, your counselor, your comforter. And you have a relationship that we need to keep working on as Christians with each member of the, of the triune God. Remember, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all God, but they're three separate individual beings who all have the nature of God. They're all all-knowing, they're all, all, all powerful, and they're all everywhere, omnipresent, right? John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you trusting and relying on Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? Out of his own mouth, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those words are from Jesus's mouth alone, Jason, right? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, okay? Every human being needs Jesus. Romans 3.23 says that all human beings, everyone living, has sinned and fallen short of God's holy standard, and we need a Savior, okay? And without a Savior, as I said, only eternal hell awaits. And we go to eternal hell because we have a sin debt to our Heavenly Father that has to be satisfied. And there are only two ways to have that satisfied. 
You can call in on Christ. You can receive Christ. You can put your genuine faith and trust and confidence in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. And your sin debt will be paid by Jesus. He'll pay the debt on your behalf at the cross. At the cross, he died in your place and in my place. He was punished in our place. Okay, so he took the death and punishment we could have taken. Now, without Jesus, we're required to pay that sin debt ourselves. And the only way to pay that sin debt is by spending an eternity in hell, separated from the triune God, paying that debt ourselves. So I'll ask you again, are you truly, genuinely trusting and relying on Jesus alone today? Have you called out to Jesus? Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now hear me, it's not just puppeting words that saves us, okay? It's Christ that saves us. But we use our words to to communicate our heart. So if you think maybe you believe in Jesus, but you don't know that you're, you're really trusting in him or relying on him, you can just simply go before him now. Just humble yourself before Jesus and and just pray to him. Now, use, use the words that I'm going to say, but it's the genuineness and sincerity of your heart that obviously matters to the Lord. So again, just go before Jesus and say, you know, Lord Jesus, I, I know that I'm a sinful person. I confess that I'm a sinner, Lord. And Lord Jesus, I know that I am hopeless, that I'm helpless, that I'm desperate. Lord Jesus, I believe, however, that you are the Son of God. And I believe that you came into this world and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And I believe, Lord Jesus, that you are alive and risen today. And therefore, I ask you now, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart. I humbly ask you to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope, and confidence, and trust in you alone to save me, and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's that's how you become a Christian, right? You believe the scriptures, and then in faith, you, you call out to Jesus. And again, I want to caution us. Again, it's not just puppeting those words that saves us. We use the words, but it's again, it's understanding the condition of our soul, that we're, that we're in sin, and that we need eternal life. And without Jesus, only eternal hell awaits. And from that position, we genuinely humble ourselves and throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and ask him to be the Lord of our life. Right, Nathan? Thank you, Lord Jesus. So again, King David understood, you know, the, the, the heart of the Father, okay? King David wasn't being cavalier here when he ate the bread that only the, the priests were supposed to eat. He didn't have any other food, okay? Um, and so again, it's about understanding that again, if there, was bro- if there was bread and food to eat everywhere again, David would never have done this. So Jesus says he entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat and also gave some to his companions. Now, now hear me, the disciples didn't even do anything wrong. But Jesus is teaching them the word of God. And they, they had never, they obviously would have known the scripture was in the Bible, but they didn't, you know, they've never seen it in this light again because they had made up man made rules. And that's what they were concerned about. They were concerned about people following 
their man-made rules more than they were really having the heart of our heavenly father, right? And look what he says here in, uh, in verse five. And this is, this is real. Now, Jesus is going to proclaim himself to be God here. Again, when he said this, his listeners would have, said, would have stepped back and said, you know, what did he say? Look at verse five. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, so he just said, um, so it's the Sabbath day, and yes, my disciples are picking grain, and you know what, they hadn't done anything wrong, and you know what, King David actually did, you know, did break the law, so to speak. You know, he broke the letter of the law when he ate the consecrated bread when he, when he was near starving, and he also gave some to his men. But let me clear something up for you right now, Okay. I'm the boss of the Sabbath. I'm the God of the Sabbath, okay? I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath reports to me, Jesus said. I don't report to the Sabbath, Dustin, okay? Now, when he said that, no one ever heard nobody say that, okay? Because again, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're told to remember the Sabbath, right? And to keep it holy, right? And the commandment, the Ten Commandments, right? Um, and yet... Jesus is saying, you know, I'm over that. This is the word of God. Now, Jesus is God. So when he says the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, I'm the one that decides what's right and what's wrong on the Sabbath. Okay. Again, it's an absolute claim to him being God. Right. I say it all the time. We, we really don't know who we're dealing with here. No one would ever say those words right? Wherever you are, I hope you've never said those words in your life, okay? Hopefully you never go out, Jesse, and say, Jesse's the Lord of the Sabbath, okay? Jose, don't ever say that, okay? Jesus can say it because he is God, right, Peyton? All right. All right, verse six, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if, we, if he would heal on the Sabbath. Now, we've already discussed this. Um, why aren't they watching him closely? What is your heart for Jesus? These people are watching Jesus closely, not out of love for him as it ought to be, not out of adoration for him, Right? but to see if he's doing something wrong. And I've already said, if, if, this, if you have this in your heart, if you're always looking to catch some Christian or some minister saying or doing something wrong, then, then you need to repent. And make no mistake, most of us as Christians have some of this, okay? Almost all of us have some degree of this, all right? For which we need to repent, right? And again, I ask you to forgive us, Father, and to, and to just cleanse us of this unrighteousness, Lord Jesus. Um, it, you know, we ought to be looking for ways to, to just to be blessed by people walking with Jesus and growing with Jesus. And as I said, we don't overlook, you know, heretical things, right? When untruths are spoken about Jesus, we do need to clear it up. But that, ought, that ought not be to call a God in our lives, right? To be the, uh, you know, uh, to be the police of, of every Christian that says any word at any time. I mean, there are so many videos where someone will take one sentence from what a minister said or a preacher said, 
and they'll take it completely out of the sermon. And, and perhaps the minister misspoke and they'll want to go out of their way to see how uh, how heretical and ungodly that preacher is. And again, I think I think we ought to be very, very careful. Again, we do need to have sound biblical Bible teaching, but to spend your life just looking for errors or little errors, you know, again, it, uh, it's not the heart of Christ. Obviously, serious untruths, biblical errors that go against the gospel of Christ and the word of God, where people are being taken advantage of and manipulated, yes, okay? We do need to speak out against that, obviously. Um, but we, we want to have a heart to look for the good, right? And not just be looking for reasons to, to criticize. Pharisees and teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. God forbid, right? Verse 8. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. So we can stop there. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. Uh, we, we did Bible study here on Friday night, and, um, and, and we were teaching the end of, uh, of uh, Luke chapter 7. Actually, I think it was the last teaching we did um, for kingdom discipleship here. And, uh, you know, uh, this man, Simon, was a Pharisee, invited Jesus to his house. And Jesus knew his thoughts. Simon was saying to himself, right, if Jesus was a prophet, he would know how sinful this woman is. And so Jesus knew Simon's thoughts. And we were talking about that in the Bible study that when you think about sometimes the thoughts that go through our mind, I mean, Lord Jesus, have mercy because Jesus knows what we're thinking. Lord Jesus, I do ask you to cleanse our minds, Lord. I ask you to cleanse and wash our thoughts. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, and, and cleanse us of just ungodly thinking and unrighteous thinking, Lord. Help us to just to, to facilitate the mind of Christ and to utilize the mind of Christ and to to think being led by the word of God and, and the spirit of God. Lead us, Holy Spirit, in Christ-centered thinking and forgive us, I pray in Jesus' name. Mm. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and he said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood. Now listen, Jesus knows what they're thinking, but he's not going to shrink back from it one bit because what they're thinking is so absurd you would have thought Jesus would have been like, well, you know, I can tell that they're thinking and looking for a reason to accuse me. So I'm not going to do this healing because I don't want them to accuse me. Jesus is not worried about you accusing them. OK, when you look into the character of Jesus, oftentimes we don't want to do some good thing. Right. Because we don't want to be misunderstood or misconstrued. Jesus isn't worried about what you're thinking. Okay, Jesus isn't worried about how something looks. Now, listen to me. I'm, I, obviously, we want to live our lives in a manner that it is at a certain level above reproach. But at the same time, we don't want to be living in concern and fear about what someone might think about any little thing that we do. Okay, if your heart is pure in something, obviously you want to use wisdom. Um, but you know, your concern ought not be what other people are thinking when you have an opportunity to be a blessing or to do good in some area. Right. Um, and so Jesus knows that they're, they're, they're trying to find a way to accuse him, and he's going to give it to them, okay? Because their thinking is so wrong 
so backwards, so sinful, so hard-hearted, so flat dead, so absurd and ridiculous that it needs to be handled in this way, okay? He said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Now imagine the man's a little uncomfortable. He's holding that shriveled hand up, maybe with the other hand and just sitting there, probably scared, right? Verse nine, then Jesus said to them, I ask you, and he's talking to the religious leaders, which is lawful on the Sabbath, okay? So again, imagine they're sitting there. They haven't said anything to Jesus, but Jesus is now answering their thoughts again. And then we do well to keep in mind that Jesus is answering our thoughts. <laughs> forgive us, Lord, forgive me. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? He humiliates them all with this, okay? But, the, but the, the insanity of it all is they're so hard-hearted. And again, we can get to be like this and we are like this in the church, okay? Again, we can, we can be so hard-hearted in our judgment and our criticalness and in our gossip. I mean, it's, it's forgive us, Lord Jesus, okay? Uh, there's not a church in the world that doesn't have these problems, okay? Um, this type of religious, pharisaical problem, okay? If you're hearing this, you have this problem at some level, okay? Obviously, we have it at differing levels, like we do all, you know, good qualities and bad qualities in our lives. We have them in varying measures, and we need to repent accordingly, right? Um, and so Jesus is asking them, and he's asking us, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life? or to destroy it, okay? The answers are obvious, okay? It's lawful on the Sabbath to do good. Doesn't matter anything you think. If you're doing good and serving the kingdom of God and the son of God, you go ahead and do it on the Sabbath. Now, I do need to make this point. In the new covenant, there is no special day anymore, okay? It's good that you, you go to church on Sunday. The reason we go to church on Sunday and theirs was Saturday is because the resurrection of Christ happened on a Sunday, and the early church changed the day they went to, to worship from Saturday to Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, right? The resurrection of Christ is something we ought to be celebrating every day. But there is no special day now. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the, all of them brought, are, 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 are owned by Christ. The Son of Man, Jesus, is Lord of Sunday, Dustin. He's Lord of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And yes, all people in the world, he's Lord of Saturday too, okay? You can you cannot believe in Jesus. You can be of another religion. Maybe you still call the Sabbath on Saturday. Jesus is the Lord of that day too, okay? All of us need Jesus. Verse 10, he looked around at them all. So again, he, he looks them, he stares them right in the eye and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. And this is powerful. Stretch out your hand. Okay. So he commands the man. Now, again, we'd be thinking, what are you saying? But all you have to do is have a heart to obey the word of God. When Jesus said, stretch out your hand, you notice he didn't say, please, Jose, if you would just take a moment and maybe try, just move your finger a little bit. No, 
It's a command. It's not a request. Stretch out your hand. Now, obviously, Jesus knows that the man in himself, he can't, it's shriveled. It's deformed. He has no use of it. But Jesus is not only going to heal the shriveled hand, he's going to empower the man to actually work with him in the healing. And he's obviously going to give the man the strength and the hand the strength. But the man has to, all he's got to do is try, right? All he's got to do is try. If, if that man's gripping that hand right by his by his chest or however he's holding it, if it's if it's his right hand and he's holding it in his left hand, all Jesus is asking him to do is try. And sure enough, Jesus gives him the strength and the power, and he does the same with us, right? Whatever you're going through today, whatever problems you're going through, maybe it's maybe it's emotional, maybe you're struggling with anxiety or depression or or fear, right? Maybe it's a financial issue, right? Maybe you're struggling physically and don't feel well. Maybe you have some difficult relationships, and maybe it's all of those things, right? Sometimes we're just beat down, right? Jesus is saying the same thing, right? And Jesus, you know, in whatever way, you know, Jesus is, whatever day it is, whatever time it is, the Lord is blessing us, right? The Lord has a heart to, to meet us, right? But it can only happen in Christ. That man, who knows if he had the shriveled hand his own life, but now someone's in the synagogue who can do something about it. And if you're in Jesus today, that's where you want to go with any issues you have, being spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, and relationally. And it's only Jesus. It's only in Jesus that you can have the power, right, to proverbially stretch out that hand. Right, Uncle Dennis? Golly, rap, that's good. All right. But verse 11, but they were furious. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when we don't take joy in your work. Forgive me, Lord. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. They should have been worshiping him. They should have fell at his feet in absolute praise and worship and adoration. They should have been driven to him as the Messiah. For that's, you know, the reason he was doing all these things was not primarily to heal physical problems because that was a blessing. But what everyone needed more than that was they needed, they needed spiritual life more than the healing of their physical life. All of us are dead in our sin, right? We're spiritually dead and we need spiritual life, right? And it's only in Jesus Christ that we receive spiritual life and eternal life. When you receive Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes and lives in you and grants you eternal life, right? He regenerates you, right? You become spiritually alive and you're one with Jesus. You're married to Jesus. You're part of the bride of Christ and the, the body of Christ, right? And we're all, we're all true Christians are, 